This is On The Media. I'm Brooke Gladstone. You may have heard about the latest food once thought healthy, now turned lethal. Kale might not be as good for you as you think. The vegetable is known to absorb heavy metals like arsenic and thallium. People who are eating large amounts of it are getting sick. Fatigue, skin and hair issues, neurological disorders, foggy thinking, digestive problems, and gluten intolerance. Gluten intolerance? Oh no! For a few weeks, the it leaf might as well have been hemlock in leathery clothing. This particular panic courtesy of a stunningly unsubstantiated article in Craftsmanship magazine. Now, Kale's momentary fall from grace is just the latest link in a perpetual feedback loop of specious health and diet stories proclaiming that a favored foodstuff, red wine for instance, will either kill you, wine or any alcohol increases the risk of breast cancer, or save you. Ladies, drink your red wine. It could prevent breast cancer. Or kill you. I probably told you hundreds of times that red wine is good for your heart. But recent news is raising questions. Or save you. It'll help you with good cholesterol. It lowers blood pressure, lowers stress, and just has many, many health benefits. And so for the remainder of this segment, we're diving into the dodgy world of health and diet news, complete with two of our Breaking News Consumers Handbooks, which you can find on our website to help you navigate. Let's start with an object lesson. John Bohannon is a contributing correspondent at Science Magazine. Back in December of 2014, he received a call from German TV reporter Peter Onikin, who had an intriguing proposition. Let's do a real study with real people to test the health benefits of chocolate. We're going to do a really bad job on the statistics and the design of the experiment. Get a bad paper published and then build a global multimedia campaign around it. (laughs) and see how far it goes. In Germany, it's as big a problem as it is here. There are diet fads that come like tsunamis every few months. You wonder, how did journalists miss this? Why didn't they smell a rat when they started looking into the story in the first place? And so the study was launched. Onikin and his partner Diana Lovell used Facebook to recruit five men and 11 women aged 19 to 67. A German doctor named Gunther Frank oversaw the three-week trial. That's right, 16 people, three weeks. People were randomly assigned to three groups. One was the control. So basically for a few weeks, it's going to be life as usual. Another group was on a low-carb diet. Nothing drastic, kind of a standard low-carbohydrate diet. And then the third group was the exact same low-carbohydrate diet plus a bar of chocolate every day. An ounce and a half of bitter chocolate, like over 80% cocoa. That was Gunter Frank's idea. He says that in Germany, there's this almost religious movement for foods that taste bad, therefore they must be good for you. You have to make it slightly unpleasant. If they could discern any difference at all between the low-carb chocolate eaters and the others, they would declare that chocolate worked. Now, here's the trick. If you want to get a false positive effect, something that looks sexy but probably isn't real, measure a ton of stuff about those people. So they recorded 18 different measurements. Blood protein levels, cholesterol, sodium, sleep quality, well-being, everything. Except for one seemingly crucial marker for a diet experiment, what they ate. Oh, well, (laughs) if you want to be a stickler, we actually didn't care, really, what they ate. 
because our goal wasn't to do good science. We wanted to create a big multi-dimensional data set that we could go treasure hunting in. And the results? If you eat chocolate, you lost a pound or two, 10% faster than the group that didn't eat chocolate. Less than the amount a woman could possibly lose in the course of a month with her menstrual cycle. You got it. That could just be water weight. Now the easy part, publishing the result. As we've covered before on the show, the pay-to-publish science journal industry is notoriously easy to buy into. I just tried to do my shopping on the list of known bad guys. And sure enough, I started getting acceptances uh, within 24 hours. Two weeks later, for the bargain price of 600 euros, they were in print. The final touch, Bohannon's hot and sticky press release. It really should be kind of a perfect little story. It should tell you why you should care, what happened, be very specific, and then provide a lot of what we call color. Quotes and funny connections if they exist. Something I didn't do. This was coming out pretty close to Easter, and it's a study about chocolate. I should have made that connection. <laughs> Luckily, all of the journalists who covered this had the same idea. And you had made-up quotes, uh, one by a certain Mr. Johannes Bohannon. Oh, please, doctor. Dr. Johannes Bohannon. <laughs> Herr Dr. Bohannon said, The best part about this discovery is that you can buy chocolate everywhere. What makes my skin crawl is when I hold the news release in one hand and the story in the other hand. And the quote is lifted verbatim from the news release without attribution. Gary Schweitzer, the publisher of healthnewsreview.org, is a dogged exposer of health news shams, scams, and all-round slop. It makes the news organization look like it independently sought out that work. The reporter really never left his or her desk. You're not living up to your responsibility as a journalist if you do that. And so, the first item in our Breaking News Consumer's Handbook Health News Edition, watch out for single-source stories. They're usually based on press releases. Item number two, beware stories that don't mention cost. Reuters had a story about an immunotherapy combination promising in a melanoma study. The drug in question costs around $30,000 per injection, and the combined cost more than a quarter million dollars a year. The story didn't touch on cost at all. How can we be talking about how wonderful a drug is and not talk about costs? Something else to consider? When a new treatment is said to reduce your risk of disease by, say, 50%, is it a relative 50% or an actual 50%? Stay with me. It's the omega-3s in fish, like salmon, will reduce your risk for depression up to 50%. Oh, wow. Ask yourself, 50% of what? Here's a classic example. When a drug company marketed its drug for osteoporosis. This was a Merck drug, right? Yep. They marketed it as reducing the rate of hip fracture by 50%. The data showed it reduced the risk of hip fracture from 2 in 100 in the untreated group to 1 in 100 in the treated group. That is indeed a 50% relative risk reduction, but in the absolute look at how the group benefited, 1 in 100 benefited. It is a 1% absolute <laughs> risk reduction, and the other 99 had to run the risk of side effects and pay for the drug and stand no chance of benefit. Item 4 if you think it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. 
if all you hear is predominantly about the benefits, run for the hills because there are trade-offs in all healthcare interventions. One way you'll know you're not getting the full picture, the fifth item on our list. Beware too many patient testimonials. You know, there's this old saying, the plural of anecdote is not data. We write a lot about screening tests. Patients saying, I'm glad I had that mammogram. I'm glad I had that PSA blood test for prostate cancer because it saved my life. Something that we can never prove. Which brings us to item six. Now for the first time, there's evidence that a simple screening test can catch lung tumors earlier. If you ever hear somebody talking about a simple screening test, there is no such thing. Screening test decisions should be among the most complex that we face in all of our healthcare decision-making. Some people will say, it's not a screening test decision. It's a decision about what you do after the results of the screening test. To those people, I'd say, you have not talked with people who have experienced harms and regrets, as I have and as many people have. And there are other words you should watch for, words like... A breakthrough in treating heart disease. A breakthrough in treating blindness. It's called a medical miracle treatment saving lives. The miracle treatment some are calling hope in a Petri dish. Plus a treatment that's the first of its kind. Has approved a first-of-its-kind treatment. A game-changer in the way breast cancer is treated. A new treatment could be a game-changer. First of all, this isn't a game. Let's stop calling it a game-changer. Is this making a difference in people's lives, or is it making a difference in people's pocketbooks first, before all the evidence is in hand? We hear this could become the new standard of care. Anytime you hear, it may become, it could become, substitute, it may not become. Item eight, new isn't always better. There's a phrase in medicine right now that I think we ought to adopt in journalism, and it's called slow medicine. And it's clinicians talking to each other saying, this is getting out of control. Let's (laughs) slow down. Let's talk with patients. Let's make sure we do a good history before we pull out that prescription pad. Related to this slow medicine movement, the ninth item in our handbook, beware of disease mongering. That means turning normal conditions like balding into pathologies. And disease mongering can also apply to treating risk factors for disease as if they were diseases unto themselves. So maybe the classic example is LDL cholesterol. Do we make the public fixate on know your numbers without dwelling on the numbers that really matter, like did this have an impact on the rate of death from heart disease? In disease mongering, we lower the threshold. So we now get more bent out of shape about blood pressures, blood cholesterol levels, blood glucose levels that are lower than what we used to get bent out of shape about 10 or 15 years ago. Item 10, treatment availability is often a mirage. The test is still in preclinical trial phases. The company is hoping for FDA approval by the end of the year. Take the crystal ball and throw it out the window. Phase one drug trials, they're meant primarily to say, hey, before we go forward, let's make sure it's safe. But you'll see stories about phase one trials that make claims about benefits as if these things were available at our corner drugstore, and they're not. 
And finally, item 11, the distance between mice and men. Researchers studying mice found that exposure to cell phone radiation during pregnancy affected brain development. If a study on mice is any indication, the idea of yo-yo dieting may actually be good for you after all. The leap from mice to men and women. Well, this month we had these great pictures of Pluto. It's about that much of a leap. Thus concludes our Breaking News Consumer's Handbook Health News Edition. Now let's check back with John Bohannon. When we last left our hero, he had successfully completed a three-week-long sham trial designed to illustrate the weight loss potential of dark chocolate. Armed with an article printed in a pay-to-publish medical journal and a killer press release, it was time to see what news outlets would take the bait. The largest tabloid newspaper in Europe called Bild, published out of Germany, did a cover story on it. You know, that reached a huge number of people immediately. And then it spread to the British tabloid newspapers, the Daily Star, the Irish Examiner, the Times of India, Cosmopolitan's German website. And then it spread to television. German scientists found out your diet works better, faster, if you combine it with dark chocolate. This is real. Adding chocolate, you'll lose weight. I'm not kidding. A study out of Germany found that chocolate not only accelerates weight loss, but also aids in sleep quality. To be fair, the study wasn't picked up by the New York Times or the Washington Post. The Daily Mail or Bild... They're not known for their journalistic rigor. Where do you think the vast majority of people who pick up a fad diet learned it? It's not from the New York Times. They learn it from the Daily Mail and the Huffington Post and the Internet. And it's not just fake studies like Bohannon's that trickle up through the tabloid press. There are countless life enhancers and beautifiers that are fixtures in glossy magazines. Each one backed by experts who stand as living proof of their efficacy, those radiant celebrities. You know, these are not evil people. There's not a star chamber with Gwyneth and and Oprah where they're making decisions (laughs) about what we're supposed to eat. Timothy Caulfield is the author of Is Gwyneth Paltrow Wrong About Everything? How the Famous Sell Us Elixirs of Health, Beauty, and Happiness. Actresses and actors, sports figures, musicians, they're under more pressure than any of us to look good, to stay thin, to never age. So they're looking for solutions to that problem. And often they're just talking about it in social media and in the popular press. While Caulfield urges us to have compassion for celebrities, he nevertheless finds fault with the fad diets and bogus beauty treatments they endorse. So now, our second breaking news consumer's handbook, Celebrity Edition. First up, beware the B-I-E-B, or Beeb. Beauty industry efficacy bias. Consumers want it to work. The healthcare providers want it to work. Obviously, the industry wants it to be portrayed as if it works. And magazines aren't going to sell magazines telling people that none of this stuff works. So all the social forces kind of point in the direction of making people think this stuff is effective. The Beeb, he says, affects us in two ways. First, fad diets. So celebrities like Madonna and Demi Moore are said to be big fans of the werewolf diet. Advocates claim that fasting with juice cleanses during a new moon or a full moon can help you lose as much as six pounds in a single day. Yes, Jennifer Aniston has made this baby food diet famous. What you do on the baby food diet is you replace your daytime eating with baby food. Sure, those sound stupid, but how about cleansing, fasting, detoxing? They're scientifically ludicrous on 
every level. <laughs> There's no evidence that we need to detox. We have organs that do that. There's no evidence that the proposed regimen, whatever that is, is going to help you detox, right? And I hate the messaging behind it, some kind of quick fix, when what you really need to do is find a lifestyle that you can sustain forever. And don't talk to Caulfield about gluten. I don't think this trend would exist but for celebrity culture, by the way, without people like Gwyneth and Miley Cyrus and all the sports figures that say that they've benefited for going gluten-free. So is going gluten-free healthier? No. A study just came out that found that gluten-free food is no healthier. In fact, in some cases, it might be less healthy. There may be more sodium and less healthy fats in there. Is it a good weight loss strategy? Again, no evidence to support the idea. Some studies have even suggested that people put on weight when they go gluten-free long-term. Short-term, people probably lose weight because, again, they're concentrating what they're eating. Then we come to the real controversial thing non-celiac gluten sensitivity. By which you mean if you don't have a diagnosed case of celiac disease, the belief is, is you could still be sensitive to gluten and it could still cause everything from fatigue to migraines. There is an ongoing debate in the academic literature about whether this phenomenon exists. The best studies where they've done actual clinical trials have found no gluten sensitivity, right? So 1% of the population is celiac and there may be an additional 1% to 6% at the outside of that may have some form of non-celiac gluten sensitivity. There's no way it could account for the growth in the popularity of going gluten-free. The Beeb reigns supreme in the beautification industry. Consider Kim Kardashian's vampire facial, whereby a substance distilled from your own blood is injected back into your face. Or the sheep placenta facial, allegedly favored by Victoria Beckham. Or drinking eight glasses of water a day. I can't believe I just said that. Yeah, that's one of the most persistent myths I came across. <laughs> you know, it's just not true. And people just swear by it. Look, you drink when you're thirsty, full stop. And there's no evidence that drinking all this water, like Jennifer Aniston says we should, is going to make your skin glow and rejuvenate and blah, blah, blah. Speaking of glow and rejuvenate, they're on a list of watchwords Caulfield has assembled to indicate a science-free zone. Also on that list, clinically proven. Does that mean that they did a study, they asked two of their patients, and the patients thought that they looked better? What kind of clinical study was it? Dermatology approved, what does that mean? That doesn't necessarily mean that there's any scientific evidence to support it. If there was an anti-aging product out there, I swear to God, we'd know it worked because <laughs> <laughs> the data would be everywhere. And if you uh, see the word... Toxin. Toxins have kind of become the modern-day evil spirits residing in our cells and making us fat and making us tired and depressed. There's just no evidence to support that idea. And again, no evidence that any of the, the products and processes that are being marketed by celebrity culture are going to rid your body of toxins. You know what really works? You know what the anti-aging things are? Don't smoke. Stay out of the sun. Get exercise. Exercise seems to actually have a physiological impact on your skin. Eat well. <laughs> you know, the dream crusher, right? Um, and get sleep. One of the things I was most surprised about is the evidence around sleep. He's a right buzzkill, he is. Why do we continue in denial, in magical thinking? Because we want to escape death. And in the case of chocolate, because we like it. So many people contacted me in the wake of this saying, you know, I'm so disappointed. John Bohannon. Even reporters would guiltily mention this when they were interviewing me about the whole stunt. They would say, you know, I'm 
part of me just hoped, beyond hope, that chocolate really could maybe help me in some way. You know, I had that experience myself. Look, it might actually be the case that (laughs) chocolate helps. You can't draw the opposite conclusion. You really can't draw any conclusion from this study. It's like reading tea leaves, and that was the point. If you do really bad science, you can make up any story you want. So if you're eating chocolate and it seems to be helping you, stick with it. Get your chocolate out and let's lose some weight. On our website, you can also find our second breaking news consumer's handbook related to health news, The Celebrity Edition, as well as our Spot the Tomfoolery quiz, where you can find out how adept you are at distinguishing real bogus health stories from fake bogus health stories. Coming up, has Marvel Comics commodified socialism? This is on the media. On Notes from America, we have conversations with people across the country about how we can truly become the nation that we claim to be. Each week, we talk about race, our politics, education, relationships, usually all of them, because everything's connected. And you, our listeners, are at the center of those conversations. I'm Kai Wright. Join me on Notes from America, wherever you get your podcasts. Notes from America. 